Hey, this is Matt Rail, and I'm sitting dockside with my Tennessee buddy, Troy Goldsby. We're going to take some time and try to answer some questions from you. I'm your host, Matt Rail. I've been working with lakes and ponds for over 20 years, and during that time, I've picked up on a ton of tips and tricks from lake and pond owners all over the country. So if you want to learn how to catch some smiles for your kids and grandkids off your lake, or how to grow some memories off your pond, then come sit with us, sitting dockside. All right, we're ready to rock. I so didn't know you could do that. What's that? Rock? Record the, record the movie. <laughs> I sure didn't know you could rock, but uh, I didn't know you could record the movie either. Yeah, we're ready to go. So here on this podcast, we're going to answer a few questions from you, the pond owner, with the expert, Troy Goldsby, and me, the host, Matt Rail. And uh, kind of just going to, if you can see that Troy's in his den or his, his cave, and you can see it on the YouTube video. And if you can't... It's also gonna... called my truck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we had a couple laughs with that. But anyway, the uh, so we'll hop right into it. But the uh, some of you guys have asked, why would you stock red ear? When would you stock red ear? How many red ear would you stock in your pond or lake? And I'm going to put this softball right in your hands there, Troy. Wow, Matt. I mean, you know, it's a great question. And one of the things that we try to do when we're stocking ponds and lakes is, is diversify the, the type of forage that, that is in the pond or the lake, or uh, as I like to specify, reservoir, because they're, they're not really lakes. Um, so uh, when we do that, we, we stock about 80% bluegill and 20% shellcracker, uh, or Lipomus uh, microlophus, wow. uh, the Latin name there. Yeah, how about that? That's pretty, yeah. right? Yeah. It flows. It just rolls off the tongue. Um, so, yeah, um, we stock those. And one of the reasons we do that is it, it just spreads out what, what that portion, what that portion of the sunfish base is eating on in the water column. So uh, it, it spreads that out. Uh, it provides something that's really fun to catch and a little bit something else for the bass to eat on. Uh, we see that the shellcracker, um, the red ear, um, depending on what you want to call it, doesn't get probably, well, they get, they actually get larger than the bluegill in most circumstances. They don't reproduce quite as well. Uh, but initially they provide a pretty good forage for, uh, for the bass. I think red ear are, you, you, are the underrated, uh, sun, fish in the sunfish family. It seems like it's like Robin of, you know, bat, bat and Robin, you know, it's like, he's cool, but he will never be the you know the the star of the pond and lake you know even though they get bigger I don't think can, yeah they get bigger i don't think they can be the star as, as from a forage based standpoint obviously but i was doing electro fishing uh, last thursday evening and uh, the shellcracker just after a couple of seasons the shellcracker we were rolling up with the boat were were a wonderful catchable size for kids they make such a such a great catchable fish for kids to be able to throw out and hook something pretty big and they fight great. Um, they're delicious. I mean, they just, you know, they're, they're one of my favorite things to see float up. And when I start seeing a decrease in the numbers of shellcracker, uh, during electro fishing surveys, I start looking at why and, and how I need to start restocking those and at what size I need to do that because we need to reestablish that base once it starts declining and right. get those numbers back up. 
Uh, you know, and you'll also get some variations from people on, on the numbers you should stock. Uh, we do an 80-20 mix, 80% uh, to 20% um, bluegill to shellcrafter. Some people say a 90-10, some people say 85-15. You know, I, that 80-20 is just always kind of fit for what I do. Right. And then they eat a totally different – I mean, you have bluegill who are eating this particular uh, – part of the lake and pond and zooplankton and benthic organisms and then you got shellcracker get their name because they're eating snails and do you see a lot of do you see zebra mussels where you're from uh, not often in the private impoundments no yeah the uh i know what the quagga mussels are busting out some records there you know because they are eating those and i will say that we uh this is not primary article but the uh we did some production ponds and we increased the, we've seen a lot of parasites in the background, like a lot of the yellow grub and the gills in this organic. And then we added the shellcracker at a higher rate than recommended. I think it was like 300 and a three quarter acre. And we actually timed the optimal growing days from the two previous seasons. It decreased the optimal growing days to a pound and a half by 20%. So it decreased the parasites. Really? Yeah. It decreased the parasites. So, uh, and then therefore the fish were able to grow faster and bigger. And, you know, it was, it's kind of, so, I think so you, so you, you actually stocked them at about what a 30, 35% uh, level then if you, if you did 300 and three quarters of an acre. Yeah. Yeah. We stocked 300 and a three quarter, three quarter, acre lake so yeah that was that's what we stocked them at the uh that we like to stock normally in a recreational pond around 200 per acre you know Wait, where's your numbers at it's around that uh well no it's higher than that actually uh in a in an acre i would probably stock um i'd stock 20 percent. it'd be about 300 in an acre because i i'm i'm not stocking in in southeastern reservoirs, I'm not stocking less than 1,500 sunfish per acre. Um, initial we used to. So, yeah, initial stocking. When we, uh, you know, years ago, we would do the 1,000 the per acre on bluegill and shellcracker, and we would do, so it would be 200. But now we're up to about 300 shellcracker per acre. Yeah. I think I think that number could, yeah, easily be 300. It just a lot of state agencies are recommended 100, and then we doubled that, you know. And then we're seeing just benefits. And then we'll restock, you know, three to five years later because we're right at the – here in Indiana, we're right at the northern range. So they'll take sometimes yep. a little better in some places and some places they won't. But no matter if you got snails. I'll tell you, though, if, if, they're, if they're helping with some type of uh, larvae that is affecting the bluegill, I mean, I, I could easily up my rates on shellcracker. It wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me at all to up the rates because I do so much supplemental stocking in these, in these large mouth bass impoundments. Uh, I mean, it, it just doesn't make that big of a difference. Uh, they're a little bit more expensive to buy than bluegill. Um, but it, in the, in the, in the totality of it, it's not going to affect my price uh, per acre that much. And if it, if it helps, then I, I may, I may increase that to a, a 30% stocking rate. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think, I mean, you can't stock enough. I think they're one of the coolest fish. You don't have any reasons why you would not stock them. You know, I can't see why they'd be ever de detrimental. So that's my, that's where I'm hanging up on, uh, hanging up my hat on ready or sunfish. But. 
Yeah, I agree. The only thing detrimental, you know, from my perspective is that they just don't reproduce as well as the bluegill, which and for me, everything that I'm, you know, that I'll base my comments on primarily will be on largemouth bass growth. Uh, yeah. And if, if, if you're not getting the reproduction that's going to sustain the bass appropriately, then they're going to be detrimental in the long run to the bass. But again, you can supplementally fix that with, with golden shiners or you know, more bluegill, whatever you need to do, or, or shell cracker annually if you need to. They're just not, they're not so expensive that it can't be done. All right. All right. Moving on. Any closings on Red Ear? Anything else? Uh, yeah, I love them. I just, I think they're an awesome fish. I mean, they're, you know, when I see them roll up when I'm electro fishing, it's, I, I almost get more excited about that than I do uh, big bass. When I see a big fat shell cracker roll up, it's, it's got that different coloration from the bluegill. You know, it's lighter. You can yep. see the red tones in it, those orange tones. It's just a cool fish to see. I love them. Right. So we get asked all the time. It's a, it's after Christmas. Everybody's got their Christmas tree, or, or Lowe's is having to blow out all their Christmas trees for a dollar. And do I stock or do I put out Christmas trees in your lake or pond? Um. <laughs> my my go-to answer is uh is no um and it's not that i'm trying to sell a supplemental type or a man-made type of um of uh, structure uh, which we do obviously but uh to me it's about uh oxygen content and decomposition of something else in the water column um, obviously that's a long decomposition time. If somebody really wants a very inexpensive type of structure, I think it's fine. I would make sure the needles are off of it before I did it because it just makes a mess in a small impoundment. Uh, that can be done either by shaking them real hard or, um, throwing a match on them. Um, but <laughs> here's the caveat. Be very careful and check all of your local and state laws as far as uh, when you can burn stuff, <laughs> get, the needle, get the needles off first and then, yeah, if you anchor them and chunk them in, it's going to take a long time for them to decompose. Uh, I think they're a good. Uh, I think they're a good structure for the the, the amount of density that there is uh, and uh, how dense the the branches are. I think they provide a, a good place for small forage to hide, and they provide some pretty good ambush points for largemouth bass and, and really any predator. I mean, crappie hang out around them. Uh, so uh, I would I wouldn't tell somebody uh, absolutely not to do it. I would say for me there are some preferences that I like a little more than cedar trees that are longer lasting and you're never going to have to worry about getting them back out or replacing them. My answer is sometimes it's better than nothing. You know, a lot of times. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, you know, we, we see a lot of lakes and ponds that just are, just don't have anything in them and, and no habitat at all. No protective habitat, no, you know, no fishing structure and nothing of that, that nature. The, uh, and if you really want to get into the habitat scenario, you need to listen to the podcast from Brian Grab because that is at a higher level of, of habitat. And that's, that's here. Absolutely. And then, but with Christmas trees, if you're going to put it one in front of your dock, I would say no, because they're, you every little kid and their brother is going to catch it and you're going to reel it in. It's going to be on the shoreline anyway. If it's going to be out there into an area that nobody fishes to protect some little tiny little ones, 
uh, little tiny fish is protective habitat? I would say yes, uh, but it's definitely not enough. Just one Christmas tree and one, one acre. <laughs> you know no absolutely not i mean not that's, that's the thing that we need so yeah. no i'm with you i mean if it's if you're if you're saying uh it's christmas trees or nothing then i say go with the christmas trees but what we our our typical rule of thumb is that it's real easy to add structure it's real tough to take it back out um so i typically recommend two to three areas of structure per acre uh as a as an initial as an initial investment an initial go-to type of scenario uh, you know, clump, clump some structures together uh, and put maybe three of those in an acre. And then as you're beginning to fish, if you go, you know what, I just don't have enough to throw at right now. Uh, you know, I, I need to add something else. You can always add it fairly easily. Getting it back out is a, is a chore. So uh, we start light and then increase as needed. Right on. So stay tuned for another podcast. If you want to hear some yes and no questions right on our Facebook page, uh, your questions, if you want the expert Troy and the host Matt Rail to, to answer them, uh, and we'll go from there. Thanks for sitting with us, uh, sitting with us, Dockside. Sitting with us, Dockside. Thanks, guys. This podcast, Sitting Dockside, is brought to you by Private Water Natural Resource Association, a nonprofit built just to educate private pond and lake owners on water quality and fisheries all of that good stuff there's videos there's places to read and there's a community built right into that website so if you want to learn more jump to pwnra.org and click and by all means make sure that this continues in the future podcast education video become a member if nothing else there's tons of platforms youtube facebook just hit like Send a comment. We appreciate everything you can do here at PWNRA.